then we will finish up our multiply series next Sunday. We decided to table that today, and we'll finish that next Sunday, our, our series of multiply. And I'm excited about the final message. It's a new one that I added uh, to this series. And so I hope you'll be here next Sunday for that. So you guys are wondering, okay, well, then what are we going to do today at Orchard Church? Well, you guys are in for a real treat this morning. Um, we got a surprise for you uh, today, what we're going to do right now. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we had a young man that came to do a summer internship for us here at Orchard Church. And we really didn't know this guy very well, and he didn't really know us. But, but over that summer, we got to know him. His name is Ricardo Cardenas. And we were so impressed, Ricardo um, impressed us when he was here for that summer. Um, he is such a sharp guy. He is so coachable, so teachable, and just has an amazing heart to serve God. And we were so impressed with Ricardo. He had one year left in Bible college, and I think it was Minnesota. And we said, well, when you get out of Bible college, you graduate, we're going we're gonna to make a position for you. That's how impressed we were with this guy. We said, we don't know what we have, but we're, hard, good people are hard to find, aren't they? And so when you see one, you want to grab them. And so we said, if there's any way you can come back to Denver, we want to put you on our staff. We'll find a place for you. Well, God worked it out, and he actually applied for Denver Seminary to get his master's degree in divinity. And this is how sharp this guy is. He got a full-ride, all-expense-paid uh, master's degree program at Denver Seminary. They accepted him. He got a full scholarship. This guy is sharp. And so... God brought him here. He's finishing that up, and he's been on our staff part-time, and we didn't know exactly what he was going to do, and God opened a door. We needed somebody to serve in our student ministry, and so Ricardo said, well, I'll step in until you find your next student director. Well, about a year and a half later, he's still our student pastor, and he's doing such an amazing job. He loves the kids. They love him. We said, well, if it's not broke, we don't need to fix it, and so he's done an incredible job with our student ministry, and it's continued to grow, and, and we appreciate him, and so he is actually going to bring the message for us this morning. And this is a historic day because he, uh, up until last service, had never spoke at Orchard Church. He actually did his first message for a church service last Sunday at a friend's church. And he wants to be a pastor someday. So we said, Cardo, you got to start speaking somewhere. And so you guys get to hear him for the first time in this service. He did a great job uh, last service. So isn't that exciting? Get to hear his, one of his first messages ever. And so he is going to bring the message this morning. His name is Ricardo. We like to call him Cardo. So please welcome to the stage our best-looking guy on staff, Cardo Cardenas. Welcome to this morning. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for braving the storm today, guys. Um, I went to college up in Minneapolis, and so... This wasn't much of a snowpocalypse for us. I mean, it's kind of like uh, every day from December to April, probably like November to April. I don't know. I'm not a native. But anyways, it was always like this. So this was pretty mild. But thanks for making it out. Um, really appreciate that. And thanks for letting me join you guys on stage today. I know I'm not Pastor Doug, but if he says I'm better looking, then at least you can look at me for the entire time if my message is not good. So um, we're going we're gonna to read from Acts chapter 9 today. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, that's kind of what we're going to be digging in at today. We're going to be talking about the power of grace. Power of God's grace is what we're going to be talking about. And while you turn to, to Acts chapter 9, um, I want to tell you guys a little, little story that will relate well. Um, as I, I don't know if Pastor Doug mentioned this, actually. I grew up in the area. I graduated from Prairie View High School back in 2000, 
nine, this is where I met my wife. We started dating uh, junior year of high school. And upon graduating, I actually ended up going up to the University of Northern Colorado for a year. And um, I, I, I didn't feel like I was calling into ministry at that point, obviously. So I was going up there to be an English teacher. And God called, or, or I went up there. And when I graduated, went up there with a bunch of friends. And our graduating class in Prairie View, Prairie View was not as large as it is now. Graduating class of Prairie View back then was like 190 people. And about 25% of that group, maybe a little bit more, went up to UNC. So we called it Prairie View North for that first year that we all went up there because there were so many of us from our graduating class who went. And along with me went uh, several friends, some that I had known for years growing up playing sports and baseball and things like that, uh, went to middle school and high school with. But then there were other people who I didn't know quite as well who were kind of acquaintances, you know, I had some classes with, but we weren't like best buddies or anything like that. But I got to, to build friendships with those people. And one of those people was my friend Luke back in, in high school and college. And Luke was, was just an interesting guy. Like the best way to, to characterize Luke is just interesting. And he was a really popular, outgoing guy. And he wasn't popular though because he was like the hot jock or anything like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was more because of the fact that he was just so outgoing and so smart and so charismatic. And he would just do all these crazy things that everybody just loved hanging around Luke. But the other thing that was challenging about Luke was that he was actually very outspoken against religion and specifically outspoken against Christianity. And even though I wasn't the strongest Christian back at that time, um, my wife was, was a very strong Christian and she would get into these conversations with Luke and, and she's told me before, you would always walk away from those conversations just feeling flustered, feeling like you didn't know what to say in that moment, feeling frustrated, feeling kind of dumb. And, and that's the kind of guy that he was. He was so smart. I used to say about Luke, he's too smart for his own good. He's too smart to ever become a Christian because he's always just thinking so much. So, so that's who Luke was. But Luke and I ended up becoming really good friends while we went up to college together. We hung out together all the time. And Luke and I had this conversation several times. And it always went something like this. He always said, Cardo, I've got everything I want right now. I'm awake from home. I'm at college, I've got a beautiful girlfriend who was playing intramural rugby. Uh, I love all my classes, I'm making all these friends. College is like the best place I could possibly be right now. And yet, I still feel like I'm missing something in my life. I still feel like I'm unfulfilled for some reason. Now, if that's not like a softball as a Christian, right, to, to share your faith and just knock it out of the park, I don't know what is. But for me, it wasn't a softball. For me, the first few times we had this conversation, I actually just kind of nodded sympathetically and said, oh, that's cool, Luke, and then changed the subject when we talked about something else because I was afraid of how Luke might respond if I were to try and share my faith with him in that moment. I knew what God wanted me to say, but I wasn't obedient to that because I was fearful of what he might say back to me. But finally, we, probably the third or fourth time we had this conversation, Luke was driving us all back to our dorm hall after hanging out one afternoon. And as he dropped us off, um, I remember sitting in the back seat. He had just say, made the same exact comment a little earlier in the evening. And I was sitting in the back seat, and I was fighting with God. Anybody ever fought with God before? Yeah, absolutely. I was fighting with God because I felt like he was telling me, this is it. Like, if you don't tell him now, you don't know when you're going to have this opportunity to share what you need to share with him. And so I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm real nervous. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nauseous. I'm shaking a little bit. I, I'm not a big fan of, like, confrontation and so I was just super nervous very uncomfortable but I knew I had to do it so as I got out of the car I tapped Luke on the shoulder and I said you know what Luke I got to say something to you would you mind getting out of the car real quick while our friends kind of walked into the dorm room 
And as he got out of the car, I just told Luke, I said, you know what? Take this however you want. I'm not trying to be offensive, but you've told me this several times now. You've told me that, that you have everything you could possibly want in life that should make you happy, and yet you're still feeling unfulfilled and you don't know why. And I feel like I just have to tell you that the reason you're feeling that way is because you need God in your life. And you will not feel fulfilled in life until you have Jesus Christ in your life. And I told him, take that as you may, Luke. And, and I thought he was, I was just waiting for it, like waiting for him to just kind of like lash out at me and make me feel dumb. But in that moment, he just kind of looked at me, and I think he could tell because I, I was shaking, my voice was quaking, I had tears coming to my eyes. That's how nervous I was for this conversation. And I think he could tell what I was saying was heartfelt. And so Luke just said, thanks, Carter, I appreciate that. And he got into his car and he drove off to, to his dorm on the other side of campus. See, Luke didn't ridicule me in that moment like he could have, and he didn't challenge me. And over the course of the next several years, I had several more opportunities to, to share the gospel and to talk with Luke about Jesus Christ. And, and even though his faith has kind of gone up and down, and I don't really know where he stands today, I know that he's far more open to the gospel now than he ever was back then. So the reason I tell that story is because it, it, it's not to like tap, pat myself on the back or anything. I obviously struck out several times before I finally did what God was calling me to do in that moment. But the reason I tell that story is because it's very easy for us as Christians to assume there are some people in our lives who are simply too far away from God to ever have any kind of real relationship with him. But the passage that we're going to deal with today actually tells a completely different story. In fact, the Bible surprises us and tells us that God's grace can extend to the most unlikely of people. And the person that we're going to be talking about today is, he's a man named Saul. And although Saul started out as, as an enemy of God and, and an enemy of, of Jesus Christ, he went on to become one of the greatest followers of Jesus of all time. He went on to write much of the New Testament, probably more than half the New Testament, and to plant churches throughout the known so let's turn to our passage in Acts chapter 9, if you're not already there. And we're going to read the first couple passages, or the first couple verses here. But the thing I want you to take note of, the first point I want you to take note of today is that God, God's grace has the power to break us. God's grace has the power to break us. So let's read a little bit. Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, or of the Christian faith, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And we'll stop there for, for just a second. So the first thing I want you to see here in, in Acts chapter 9 about Saul is that Saul was opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't just opposed, but he was adamantly, vehemently opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul was, to set the context a little bit, the, the church was kind of exploding in Jerusalem right now. At the beginning of the book of Acts, it kind of recounts the story at the end of all the Gospels that Jesus had died, resurrected, and that when he came back, he gave what's known as the, the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples, right? What we're all about here at Orchard Church. And, and he says that, and after saying that and being on, on earth for a few days, he ascends into heaven, and it's just the church. And what happened was the church began to explode. There were thousands of people coming to know Jesus during this time. But the thing about Saul was he wasn't a seeker, right? He wasn't somebody who was kind of sitting on the fringe that you were just like looking at, like, yeah, he's, he's close, man. If I just share the gospel with him, he might become a Christian. That's not who Saul was. He wasn't watching this new movement 
called Christianity spring up all over Jerusalem and saying, man, this Jesus thing is super interesting. These guys are super cool. Right? That's not who Saul was. Instead, he, he, he wasn't like, maybe I'll check out one of their churches today and, and see if they have like, really good coffee and maybe their worship leader is, is good looking and, and sings well and, and, and maybe their pastor is funny and I'll become a Christian. That's not who Saul was, who, what, who, who Saul was, but rather Saul was opposed to the gospel. And he says so in Acts chapter 26. After he becomes the Apostle Paul and goes on to do all these amazing things, he's recounting his story at the end of the book of Acts. And he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even into foreign cities. And then in Galatians 1, a letter that he writes um, later in the Bible, he, he says this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. See, Saul, and this might sound like an extreme example at first, but it, it's really not far off. Saul was not far off from present-day ISIS in the Middle East. He wasn't. It, it sounds crazy, but this is who Saul was. Saul was a devout Jew, and he saw this Christian faith starting to spring up in, in his community. And instead of looking at it and saying, oh yeah, we can all be friends, whatever, they have their faith, I have my faith, no big deal, he saw this faith as a threat to his religion, to his faith. And in response, his desire was to eliminate the threat. And so he went around, as these people began to be persecuted and spread throughout the world, he went around and he, he dragged his people from neighboring communities and towns and cities, dragged them back to Jerusalem to have them put in front of the court, thrown in prison, and maybe even stoned to death. Brutally stoned to death. Do you know what stoned is? It's, it's where people throw rocks at you until you die. Does that sound like a pleasant way to die? Absolutely not, but that's who Saul was. That's what he was doing. He was adamantly opposed to the gospel. And when you take a step back and look at Saul's life, nobody, nobody, nobody would have said, this guy, man, he's just right there. I just need to, you know, bring him to church and he's going to become a Christian. Nobody would have expected him to become who he became, much less go on to become known as the Apostle Paul, who we now know him as, and plant churches throughout the entire world and, and write the second half of the New Testament. Nobody would have thought that. But as we're about to see, God's grace has the power to break us. So let's continue reading here in, in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. God's grace has the power to break us. See, in spite of, of Saul being modern-day ISIS, in spite of his adamant opposition to Jesus Christ and all of his followers, 
Jesus miraculously rescued Saul from that place. And the interesting thing here to take note of in, in this part of the passage is how Jesus identifies himself. Saul asks him, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus responds by saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that's a really interesting way for him to identify himself. He could have said, I am Jesus, Lord and Savior. And that's why I'm here. I want you to start following me. That's not what he said. He, he didn't say, I'm Jesus. I'm the king of the universe. Right? That would have made a little bit more sense. But he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why? does Jesus decide to identify himself in, in that way? I think there's a couple reasons. I think at face value, it's very easy to look at this and say, okay, well, well, Saul was obviously persecuting the church. And in so saying, what Jesus is saying is, Saul, you're persecuting my church, and when you persecute my church, you're persecuting me. Right? And I think at face value, there's some truth to that. I think there's, a, there's some truth to what that interpretation might be. But I think that there's something deeper that applies not just to Saul that Jesus is saying here, but applies to every single one of us as Christians today. And I'll explain. Here, here's what I think Jesus is saying. He's saying any life that is devoted to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ is a life that persecutes Jesus himself. I'll read that again. Any life that is devoted to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ is a life that persecutes Jesus himself. See, Saul was living a life of devotion. He was living a life of, of strong devotion to his, his Jewish faith. But the, the thing was, he was devoted to the wrong thing. He was devoted to a religion where he, his goal was to maintain right standing before God by living a good and moral life. And by being devoted to that, by, by being devoted to a works-based religion, like Judaism, he was rejecting Jesus and the death that he died on the cross for all of our sins. And in that way, that's how Saul was persecuting Jesus. And in the same way, anytime we live our lives devoted to anything other than Jesus Christ, we're doing the same exact thing. We persecute Jesus in the same way that Saul did if we're living a life that is devoted to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a few examples because the thing is, we can live our lives devoted to good things. I'm not saying you're out there devoted to partying and drugs and all this stuff, but we can live our lives devoted to good things and still be persecuting Jesus Christ. Here's a few examples. If you devote your life to finding your greatest fulfillment in your work, in your social life, in your love life, in your material possessions, whatever that thing might be that, I, that you find your identity in, that you find your ultimate fulfillment in, if that thing is not Jesus Christ, you are persecuting Jesus in the same exact way that Saul was in Acts chapter 9. <coughs> See, there is no indifference. This is the hard thing about the Christian faith. There is no indifference. There, there, there is no 50-50 wishy-washy Christian faith. You're either completely sold out to Jesus Christ, finding your ultimate fulfillment and joy in him, or you're like, yeah, Jesus is over here. This is cool. I go to Sunday every once in a while. And even if you do that and you're finding your devotion in something else, you're persecuting Jesus. That's the tough thing about the Christian faith. But the great thing is that it's in the middle of this very same persecution that Saul is radically converted by Jesus Christ. And we see that God's grace has the power to break us. And the good news is that the same way that God saved Saul in this moment, in the midst of this persecution, God saves us in the same exact way. He has the power, he's capable of saving every single one of us in the same 
exact way. And Saul, Saul actually says this. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy, who became his, his successor. He was kind of his protege, right? He became his successor at the church of Ephesus. And, and as Timothy was taking this church over, Paul wrote this letter to him. And he says this in verse 1, 15 and 16. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I am the worst of sinners. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect, his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, this is why God saved Saul. Not just so Saul could be saved, but so that he would be a perfect example of God's patience. That there's nobody who's too far from God's grace, who's done too much, who cannot be saved. Because it's very easy for us, after all, to look at Saul's conversion experience and be like, wow, that, that was miraculous, right? That was a miraculous experience. After all, there's light shining from heaven. Uh, there's a loud voice. He gets knocked off of his donkey. He, he doesn't drink water for days. He goes blind. He doesn't eat for days. No wonder why he, he went from going this direction at 100 miles per hour to flipping 180 degrees and going this way at 100 miles per hour, right? It's easy for us to look at and say, wow, what a miraculous experience. But the truth is that every time someone comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ is a miraculous experience. Every single time. See, for some of us, we grew up in the church and we know nothing other than following Jesus our entire life. Right? You just you grew up in church. Um, you, you, you knew Jesus from when you were in diapers. Driving to church during snowpocalypses is just what you did, Right? You've never known anything different. And for many of us, it's easy to feel like, oh yeah, I have a boring story, I have a boring testimony. My wife has told me this several times. I, I feel like my story is just kind of boring. But the truth is, your testimony is not boring. It's just as much of a miracle as the guy who is doing who knows what and then has his life radically altered and changed and starts following Jesus Christ. Every single time somebody goes from darkness to life, is a miraculous experience. Every single time somebody goes from death, spiritual death to spiritual life, is a miraculous experience. Every single time somebody goes from, from being a condemned sinner to being a follower of Jesus Christ is a miraculous experience. And every single time somebody goes from being an enemy of God to being Adopted as a son and as a daughter is a miraculous experience. So maybe you're here today and, and you just needed that kind of example. Maybe you just need to be reminded of the goodness of God's grace and the greatness of his mercy and the power of his salvation. That there's nobody too far gone who's done too much who cannot be rescued by Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be encouraged by the fact that there's no one too broken who can't be healed by God's grace. So the great thing about this story is that it, it, it should be an encouragement to the Christian and to the non-Christian alike. We should all be encouraged by this story. Here's why it should be encouraging for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, you should be encouraged by this fact. You cannot outsend the grace of God. You just can't. Saul is living proof of the fact that there is nothing that you could have possibly done. The guy was dragging Christians into prison and having them killed for their faith, and then he became one of the most, one of the strongest followers of Jesus in all of history. You can't outsin the grace of God. But for the Christian, 
your encouragement should be this. Maybe there's somebody that you've been praying for for years. Family member, like I, I, I have a number of family members who I'm praying for all the time. And you're discouraged right now because they seem no closer to a relationship with Jesus Christ than they did years ago when you first started praying for them. This passage should be an encouragement because it should show you that you have no idea what God could be doing just under the surface in their life. That tomorrow they could be knocked off their donkey and have a miraculous experience with Jesus Christ. God's grace has the power to break anyone and everyone. But here's the good news, is that God doesn't just leave us there, right? God doesn't just like break you into a million pieces and then just leave you there. But rather, as we're going to see in the second half of this passage, is that God's grace has the power to raise us. So let's dig into the, the second half of this passage, um, starting in Acts chapter 9. We're going to see two examples here, starting with 9 verse 10. Um, we're going to see two examples of how God can raise us from our brokenness. And what we're going to see is not only can God save the most unlikely of people, but if you're already a Christian, he has a specific role for you in this process. So starting in verse 10, let's read. Now there was a certain dis disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise. Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, God's grace in this moment has not only the power to break Saul, but it has the power to raise Ananias. God uses his followers, people like you and me, to accomplish his purposes in the world. Even when we're reluctant, even when we're afraid and hesitant. You know, I think back to my story with my friend Luke at the beginning, and, and, and in that moment, the fear that I felt while trying to, to just say, Luke, you need Jesus in your life, the, the, the fear I had was unbelievable. I mean, I was shaking. I was nauseous. I had tears coming to my eyes as I spoke to him, and, and the words that came out were like all quaky for some reason. That's how I was feeling in that moment. And, and yet, I think about the fear that I was feeling in that moment, and I feel silly compared to the fear that Ananias was probably feeling in this moment. Because to go back to my earlier example, here's exactly what God was calling him to do. He was basically saying, Cardo, why don't you go down to DIA, buy a ticket, fly to Syria, and the first person you see wearing a, uh, a hooded mask, I want you to tell them about Jesus Christ. The first... ISIS member you see out there, I want you to tell them about Jesus Christ. Who's buying that ticket? 
I'm not buying that ticket. And, and I love the Bible because it's not afraid to show the humanity of Ananias in this moment. He doesn't respond by saying, like, Radio God, I'll do whatever you want. I'm sold out. Right? That's not how, how Ananias responds, but rather he, 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 he responds with the same exact fear that you or I would feel in that moment. He says, Lord, I've heard a lot about this guy, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has the power, the moment I say the name of Jesus, to drag me back to Jerusalem, have me thrown in prison, or have me killed for saying the name of Jesus. I love that Ananias' response is not like, all right, God, whatever you say. Because it confirms for us that it's okay to feel that fear when God calling you to do something. But the other thing I love about this passage is, is, is God's response to Ananias. Because God doesn't respond, by, doesn't respond by, by tapping Ananias on the rear end and saying, you got it, man, don't worry about it. You're awesome, you're super gifted, you're funny, you're very smart, he's going to believe you, just trust me. Right? That's not... That's not his response to Ananias, but rather his response is this. He says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. See, God's response in this moment is not to affirm Ananias in who Ananias is. It's not, Ananias, you're awesome. It's, Ananias, I'm raising this guy up for a very specific purpose, and I want you to be a part of it. Our assurance in moments where we're afraid of what God might be calling us to do shouldn't be found in ourselves. It should be found in God, who, who we know and we can trust is raising us up for a reason. God's grace has the power to raise us. See, the thing that's hard about the Christian life is it should never be comfy. Right? We shouldn't just get to come to church on Sunday morning, sit in our comfortable chairs, you know, hear a, a 30, 40-minute sermon, and then leave and, and never think about it again. That's not what God has called us to. God should always be nudging you a little bit outside of your comfort zone. I used this example last time. Marcial and his wife and his kids sold everything that they had, drove from southern Mexico here to Colorado where they know anybody so that they could plant a Spanish-speaking church in Commerce City, Colorado. I don't know about you guys, that's a little uncomfortable. Maybe not. Jeez. I think it's a little uncomfortable, but I also think about this. When I left this school back in 2009, when I graduated, I never in a million years would have thought that I would have been up here preaching the gospel to a congregation at Orchard Church. I can tell you I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now. But thank you. But here's why I say that. Okay, it's not, I'm not trying to to pat myself on the back. What I'm saying is that when God calls you to something, as afraid as you might be in that moment, you can rest assured that his grace has the power to sustain you and to raise you in that situation. So let's close this passage out, starting with verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has he not come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound back to the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded, he confused the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I love that. I love seeing what happens to, to Saul in that moment, that, that he went into Damascus with chains to drag Christians back to Jerusalem so that he could have them killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And instead, he ends up staying in Damascus and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. If that's not grace, I have no idea what it is. God's grace has the power to raise us. He breaks Saul down and he raises him to do something, so much so that this same guy who wanted to kill these Christ followers goes on in the book of Philippians, towards the end of his ministry, Paul writes this. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. That word rubbish there is actually a lot stronger than the word rubbish. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before, but that word is actually a word that I can't even repeat from the pulpit right now if we were to translate it the best we could. That's how strong of a word he's using here. He's saying, my life of devotion to all of these things, as great as they were before, is rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. That's what God's grace has the power to do. It has the power to break us and then raise us back up for his purposes and for his glory in the world. So as we, as we close today and as, as we reflect on this truth that God's grace has the power to break us and that it has the power to raise us, I'd like to ask you guys a question. And that question is, what is your next step of obedience in response to this truth? Who has God put in your life, that, in your sphere of influence, that needs to hear the gospel? Maybe God's putting it on, on you right now, to, that you need to share your faith with them. Or maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe you're like, sharing my faith, I don't know about that, Carter. Maybe your step is just to invite a friend to church, so they can come and hear the gospel here. Or maybe you're not even there yet, and, and you're just like, man, I'm just coming to church, I, I barely make it to church half the time. And, and your first step is just to refocus your life right now and recenter it on Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to get plugged into discipleship here. Maybe you need to get plugged into a small group or start serving in some capacity. What is your next step of obedience to allow God's grace and his spirit to work through you? What is that step? And maybe you're here, and you're not even a Christian, and you're just like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. And maybe your first step is, your, your next step of obedience is to submit your life to Jesus Christ. Whatever that step is, I encourage you to take it today, and not to put it off. Because you don't know when you'll have that opportunity again. I got lucky that God gave me three or four opportunities to share my faith with my friend. We won't all have that opportunity. And I, I encourage you to take that step, not just to rush out and take it, but I want you to take that step with the assurance that Ananias had in that moment. Not assurance of yourself that you're awesome and that you're great, but that the God we serve is great. 
and that he's raising you up for a purpose. Let's pray. You guys would just uh, mind bowing your head. Maybe you're here today and, um, and like I said, you've never submitted your life to Christ. You're living your life devoted to something else. And as great as that thing is, I'm telling you, if you're living your life devoted to anything else, you're devoting it to the wrong thing. And I want to give you the opportunity to, to surrender your life to Christ. So if, you, if, you, if you're here today and you'd like to take that opportunity, um, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. And, and like Pastor Doug always says, um, it's not the prayer that saves you, it's the heart behind the prayer. It's the devotion that you are now committing your life to God behind the prayer. And the prayer goes like this, Dear God, thank you that your grace has the power to reach anyone and everyone. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I've lived my life devoted to the wrong thing. And I need your grace. Jesus, please rescue me from my sins. I submit my life to you. Help me to live the rest of my life in a way that honors you and brings you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I think with everyone's head bowed still, if you prayed that prayer today, I invite you to just slip up your hand so that we can pray for you. Thanks. See that hand. See that hand. Praise God. Thanks. Lord, I pray that you would sustain the faith of these people who committed their lives to you today, Lord. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grow strong within in them, that they might devote their lives to following you instead of devoting their lives to following something else, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would grow so strong in them that, that not only would you break them down, but that you would raise them up to use you for your kingdom and for your glory and for your purposes in this world, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to, to have a, a moment to just share with these people and to be used in this, in this way. And if you're here today and, and you're a Christian and you've been walking with Christ for a long time, but you know you need to take a different step of obedience, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it just goes like this. Heavenly Father, thank you that your grace has the power to raise me and use me for your purposes. I ask now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to take the next step of obedience. To bring about your purposes in my life and in the lives of those around me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's celebrate what God has done today, guys. Thanks for letting me join you. Thank you.